Hi everyone, it's Maura Gamble from our Permaculture Life and the Permaculture Education Institute. And very shortly, I'm going to be joined live with uh, Rob Hopkins. Rob Hopkins is um, one of the co-founders of the Transition Movement. He's the author of um, From What Is to What If and also podcaster with um, What If to What Next. Uh, he's based in Totnes and he's going to be joining me live from COP26 in Glasgow. So COP26, I'm sure you've all heard about what's going on over in Glasgow at the moment. So it started in on the 31st of October. So today is day six um, of the climate um, crisis, the conference about the climate crisis. And basically there's people from 100 world leaders from 190 countries joining together with tens of thousands of people uh, exploring where to from here with the with the climate crisis. So day six today is on youth and empowerment and um uh, as a side conference, um, my daughter, who's uh, the the um, co-originator of the Perma Youth, uh, was part of the Green Unconference, and so they were exploring with a number of young people an online conference connecting people from um, from the Philippines, from India, um, here in Australia, and also sharing some of the work that's been done in the um, refugee settlements as well as Perma Youth Network. So, so that's today. Today is is the Youth Day. Um, and so really essentially what was trying to happen here at this conference was for the world leaders to put on the table their plans to, to, um, limit climate change to 1.5 degrees. So what we've heard is that, uh, there's been a huge plan put on the table, um, about, uh, and which, uh, 100 nations have signed to, um, cease deforestation. Um, by 2030, so that's 85% of the global forest have now um, been said that they'll be protected and regenerated. So however that rolls out, I don't know, but that's a really good thing. Um, then there's also uh, the agreement to phase out fossil fuels, which shamefully our government here in Australia failed to sign. So I'm feeling absolutely and incredibly uh, let down by our government, and I think that we have a, such a huge potential to be to be world leaders in this space. We and we have the the privilege and the potential to be doing that, and yet here we are dragging our feet, holding on to dinosaur um, ideas. So that's a really huge shame and um, absolutely gutting for the people of Australia, and also I would imagine you know globally that. It's it's shocking, really, what's going on with uh, our so-called leaders here in Australia. Um, so I'm what I'm doing. I'm not in COP. I'm not at, not in Glasgow. I'm at home. Um, but many of my friends are over in COP, uh, and they've travelled there from various parts of of Europe and um, the UK. Um, trained their way up to COP in Glasgow, and so. I'm taking this opportunity to zoom in with them and share with you some of what's going on on the ground. We're hearing the big news of like the big items, like the the headlines, but what's actually, what's the feel of what's going on on the ground? What What's going on on the streets? What are people, you know, the Indigenous groups, the youth groups, the community groups, the NGOs thinking about, talking about, and what do they see as the future? So um, today I'm talking with Rob Hopkins and uh, really looking at, yeah, what, uh, what what his take is on uh, what the decisions being made and 
what action's being taken and what he's observing. So um, I'll cross now live to, to Rob Hopkins. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Join me again in the, in the next couple of days. Keep a look out on, on uh, Facebook because I will be going live to Natalie Isaacs from One Million Women, to Helena Norberg-Hodge from uh, Local Futures, and also Sarah Quiblayton from Green Relief. Uh, so join me um, over the next few days as I um, join in with our COP correspondents on the ground at Glasgow. Thanks for joining me. Okay. Wonderful. Good morning. Nice to see you. Yeah, nice to see you too. So we're actually live now um, going out, hopefully. No pressure. To, uh, to, to um, YouTube and to Facebook. So welcome. Welcome to the show. I'm really, really excited to hear what's going on on the ground. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm sitting here in Australia watching with absolute despair and shame at what our government is doing over there. Um, what took you, maybe we could just start with, I know you've only got a few minutes before you're off on something, off on a, another adventure, but, um, yeah, what took you first to to be there at, at COP26? Well, I was at COP21 when it was in um when it was in Paris and I was there for the full two weeks. I'm only here for the first week of this because I've got to go and do some other things. But uh, COP21 felt like, even though it didn't do everything it needed to do, it felt like an extraordinary moment in history. And there's so much going on and I just wanted to kind of be there to breathe the air of it, I guess. And it's the same with this, you know, I just, I, I felt called to be here and wanted to be here and even though yeah like I say even though I can only be here for the first week it's been it's a fascinating charged complex uh, space to be in yeah. yeah so what are you we're hearing only the big news the you know that Australia hasn't signed anything to to phase out fossil fuels that there's been a, a shared declaration to to ease off on deforestation but we're not hearing any of the richness of the detail in between. And I wonder whether you could share a little bit about whether you have a sense that things are going far enough or not. And what it, what is the word of, on the ground about what people are feeling about how this conference is going? Um, I think I think with, with it was it's sort of similar to Paris. You know, it's like. You, there are moments when when you feel the kind of intense powerlessness of the whole thing. You know, this is a this is a cop where this is basically the last cop that matters. This is the last cop that really means anything. And the decisions are being made in a space from which indigenous voices are pretty much excluded, from which civil society is pretty much excluded, uh, but where oil and gas companies still seem to have full access um, and uh, where, where the decisions that are being made are, are not ta- tackling the... the the main issues, you know, so 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 there is no talk about there is no talk about the debt, you know, the fact that there are 30 countries in the world who spend five times more money every year on debt repayments than they're able to spend on tackling the, the climate emergency. And 
where and that actually a lot of what's you know there's this hundred billion dollars that was promised i think in copenhagen hillary clinton just plucked this figure out of out of the air which still hasn't been paid and so there's now talk about how that's going to be paid but actually what increasing what's being talked about is that that figure a, a good percentage of that figure is going to be loans not um uh, not grants and I went to a, I, there's an amazing organization here called the COP26 uh, coalition which is a, a mixture of kind of debt jubilee organizations indigenous groups and stuff and someone there said this is a bit like someone burns your house down uh, profits from doing so and then offers to lend you the money to rebuild your house you know and not even anywhere near enough you know one, one billion dollars is just not enough. And what the groups here are saying is actually it needs to be more like $7 trillion if we're actually to make it to mean that the global South is able to really do what needs to be done. So, and, and a huge kind of tech transfer. So, so on the one hand, it feels like uh, whatever comes out of this is not, is, is going to be nowhere near enough because the people who are here, you know, I wrote a blog before this where I talked about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief, you know, where, where she said people go from uh, uh, denial to anger to um, um, uh, bargaining to depression and then to acceptance. The problem, I think, here is that all the people who are sitting around the table, the degree of privilege that they bring to that table, are all still in the bargaining stage. They're, it's like, well, 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 we'll have more electric cars and more seat pumps. This is about the British government's position. More air source seat pumps, more electric cars, but we want to be able to open new oil fields and expand the airports. It's like, you can't, you can't haggle with the physics at this point. That's just not acceptable. And the, the, the police presence here is like something I've never seen anywhere. You know, they, two days ago, they arrested at five o'clock in the morning uh, an inflatable Loch Ness monster that, had, that was going to that, that was going to be the Loch Ness debt monster that the global the Jubilee uh, debt campaign were wanting to float down the river. Uh, for, you know, in the interest of public safety, it's like, sorry, that's not public. You're just that's just suppressing suppressing stuff. And we were two days ago. We were kettled for about four hours uh, on a mostly on a on an extinction rebellion thing, which was purely a show of force. You know, they 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 specifically trained ten thousand uh, uh, riot police for COP twenty six. And they wanted to get them to do something. Do you know what I mean? And you know, I, I, but I was thinking at the time. Imagine, imagine instead if they had trained ten thousand insulators and ten thousand permaculturists. So they're going to train ten thousand new permaculture teachers in time for COP twenty six, and then we're going to actually come up with a solution that addresses it. What needs to happen? Then we're not going to need ten thousand riot police. Mm -hmm. It's like you know, if you train ten thousand riot police, it's really an indication that what you're going to do is just not going to be up to scratch. So, but on the other hand. And this is always the thing with these cops. It's like what they in the beginning of the Tale of Two Cities, where you know it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. You know, it is it is a some some of the commitments that are coming forward are really quite meaningful. And although India is still saying 2070 as its target, actually the 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 um because of what India has promised, it looks like at least we are now. We still got a week to go, but it looks like the pledges so far look like they're they've bought the world if people do what they say they're going to do, right? Mm. But it's the first set of pledges that actually bring the warming under two degrees for the first time. 
you know, and when Copenhagen happened, you know, we were looking at like seven degrees of warming or something at that point. So, but all of this but stuff two is like... two degrees is too much, isn't it? You know, like... Two degrees is hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, even one and a half degrees is absolutely hell. Yeah. But, but the, but there, there, there is a tipping point. There is a tipping point that, 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 that we are clo- very close to, which is when renewables are just so much cheaper mm. that actually everything just kind of kicks off and the amount of finance that is moving out of fossil fuels the amount of money that's been divested from fossil fuels over the past you know 10 years or something is 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 phenomenal and is really starting to have an impact so so there are things that are moving i think anything that brings together you know campaigners from all over the world in 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 this kind of way you know i've i've been to um I went to an event yesterday that was with indigenous people from 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 Chile talking about how 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 renewable energy projects can work with and support indigenous communities rather than be imposed on them that was really interesting went to a talk about the tibetan plateau often called the third pole uh, you know because tibet is not recognized as being a country it doesn't have a voice at cop only the chinese government and the chinese government's towards Tibet is, is pretty widely known but so um so all of those voices are, are extraordinary uh yeah the thing with being a cop is it's is it's a bit like there's so it's like being at the biggest festival you ever went to with a program that kind of got soggy because you left it out in the rain and you can only really sort of see bits of it and all the best things people always say oh did you see so and so last night what what how did I know that was happening? You know, so last night there was something that I missed. Anyway, you know, you, you can only be in one place at one time. And a lot of the, the protest action has been really creative, really imaginative. Um, so today we're going off to something and then there's a big Fridays for Future March today. Uh, so we're going there, you know, in support and solidarity with young people. Then we're, there's something this evening. And then tomorrow there's the big march, which will be people from all over the place, which they, they reckon will be the big, second biggest march ever, or maybe even the biggest march ever in the history of Scotland, which would be lovely if that was the case. Uh, and then I'm going to something organised by the Rapid Transition Alliance on Saturday evening, and then I've got to go to Paris. So... Yeah, the, it's the it's it's a kind of an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, the Rapid Transition Alliance. Yeah, the Rapid Transition Alliance is um, an amazing organisation who was started by Andrew Sims, who used to work for the New Economics Foundation, which is about collecting stories. You know, when people say, "Well, you know, things can't change very fast, and things can only change slowly," he's like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, here's loads of historical examples of things changing very, very quickly." So that's what they do: is they kind of document and celebrate stories of rapid transition. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so they're so they're rather wonderful. So, yeah, so I'm. Uh, What's so? What do you think is like? I know you got to go, but what what do you think is the what next? You know, what what is it after COP? When when that all comes down and the dust settles, where are we left? Do you think? You know, I've, I've been doing some little podcasts which people can find on my oh, website, rockhopkins.net, where I've been asking people that question. So, you know, what would a good cop look like, and what happens afterwards if that's not what we get? I I feel a bit like it's it's a bit like um, I remember writing something when Donald Trump was elected that was you know there's that old zen 
saying about before enlightenment, chop would carry water after enlightenment, chop would carry water. I, I feel like um, yeah. we, we, you know, we, the work that, that we're all doing of trying to build build bottom up resilient solutions and stuff is the work that we need to be doing. I think the main thing is that we need to be doing it far more uh effectively and in solidarity with with the wider kind of movement of movements uh and organizations of color movements of color and indigenous people and and whatever uh you know so uh, and we need to be making sure that the work that we're doing meets a need rather than it's just something that we think needs to happen you know i i i heard somebody speak recently who who's who said who was and a kind of an older activist, he said he was asked, you know, by young people, what's their advice? He said, do be useful. <laughs> be useful. Yeah. Don't like do some kind of rarefied intellectual project that you think is kind of nice. You know, be useful. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I think that's you know that's that's mm-hmm. we need to be useful, yeah. and we need to um, and and we need to, in whatever way we can. Firstly, make sure that the promises that were made at COP26 are actually held, people are held to that. And we and we need to keep, you know, because I I, I feel like the, the problem, as always with this stuff, is that the people who were sitting around that table, Boris Johnson, you know, uh, um, you know, the, the Australian Prime Minister, all these people are all sitting there with unable to imagine anything other than just business as usual carrying on forever they have they have nothing there's nothing else in there no. they don't wake up in the morning with a with a with a picture of a low carbon society that is so delicious and exquisite that that's what they want to do you know so there is a there is a they are trying to preserve a way of doing things that is completely outdated you know coal is finished you know, coal is is like, you know, literally dinosaurs, but it's also, you know, it's it is it's for it's like the technology of the twentieth century. The idea of frequent air travel is because is for the twentieth century. The idea that you can eat a lot of meat and it doesn't matter. The idea that we just should just endlessly drink milk. It's like the world's moving on from these people and leaving them behind and. Uh, and also, it's really important to point out, and I did a podcast about this just before COP, which was that the leadership team of COP had one woman in that team. Yeah. You know, we can't even, not only are we able to not represent Indigenous people and people of colour and young people at the heart of COP, there was one woman in that team. And all the women in the, who were in that team were kind of, you know, advisors and support and people behind the scenes. It's like, come on, you know, we can, like it's 2021 now. The world is kind of moving on and leaving these people behind. So, so the work that we do in everything that we do, you know, we have to always, and you know, I'm sure people who are listening to this will do it, but, you know, just always modeling, modeling what the future looks like you know to make it normal this stuff needs to be normal yeah. and, and and it is increasingly and uh although i have to say last night last night in glasgow we went out to try and get get something to eat and at least two places we went to and we just looked at the menu no nothing vegetarian on here really like really it's 2021 this is oh, like going yeah. back like 30 years so but uh, but there are some amazing vegan restaurants in glasgow one which is called uh 
Glass Vegan. <laughs> is that great? I think as soon as they came up with the name for that, they must have thought, yeah, we're definitely calling it Glass Vegan. <laughs> no, just to, so, just yeah, to up, you said something yeah. just a moment ago about that really what we need to be doing is to be being part of this movement of movements more and to be far more effective in what we're doing. Any tips on how, you know, something like the permaculture movement can step up into that space far more and not be so underground? Well, I think I think a lot of it is about... Um, So my friend Ruth Bentovim and Lucy Neal, they they run an amazing training called The Art of Invitation, which I did a couple of years ago. They're kind of community arts practitioners. And one of the things that I remember they said that really impressed me was if you're putting on an event, you're putting on a big event, you know, normally my my traditional practice as an activist would be right. I'm going to book the space, I'm going to make a nice poster, I'm going to put it up, and, and then people are going to come and we're going to do something. They were like, no, no, no. Actually... 40% of the time and the resource needs to go into the invitation, into inviting people to go. And just making a poster is not enough. And even when you make a poster, you need to think about what are the fonts that I'm using? Like, like who, who are the people I want to be here? And what fonts are going to make them more likely to come? What imagery is going to make them more likely to come? Because chances are, a lot of the kind of imagery as permaculturists we might stick on a poster Turns a lot of turn a lot of people cold, really. Oh, a rainbow and a serpent. Oh, like knock yourself out. And that's not really my kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? So, so it's it's like how do we? Um, uh, so so yeah, they said you put forty percent of the time in the invitation, which includes going to people and saying we'd really like you to come, and using what in transition we call the power to convene. You know, there is a there is a, a power that we have to get particular people in the room for a conversation. So you put the time and the effort into that. Then the meeting itself is just 20%. Mm -hmm. And then the 40% then afterwards is making sense of what happened and then interpreting that and feeding it back to everybody who came. So I feel like we, we need to be really consciously, every event that we do, thinking, who do we need to be here? How are we building allyship with those people? How are we asking them to come in a in a non-extractive way how possibly are we able to kind of remunerate people for their time if they are you know young activists coming from from very marginalized communities how do we get them into the space and, and support them to be there um and yeah and i think it comes back to that thing about being useful you know how how is the permaculture movement useful if the permaculture movement is seen as a load of people sort of uh, who have the privilege of having access to land, making nice gardens for themselves, you know, then I'm not sure it really is, go is going to, to do it. You know, whereas some of the urban, urban gardening projects that I've seen, like in France, for example, in really gritty kind of parts of the city where they're not just about permaculture, they're also about creating spaces for people to come together, their education spaces, their spaces of resistance, their spaces of uh, all sorts of different stuff. You know, maybe that's it. But I, but I, it, it's, um, yeah, be useful. I thought that was just the best advice I've heard. Be useful. Do something useful. You know, don't, don't be a passenger. Mm. And, uh, um, uh, yeah, I th and, and, and I think 
some of the as people will hear if you listen to the, the, those two podcasts, you know, it's people are saying there is a the, the movement of movements has has grown hugely in the last in the last few years, and the links across between uh, a whole range of different movements have really built and strengthened, and that's really great. And we need to keep putting a lot of time and effort uh, into that. But I do think a lot of people are going to be asking the question after COP. You know, what happens after COP? What, what does our activism look like after COP? And you know, on the big Extinction Rebellion protest the other day, I think there was a lot of conversation about you know this thing of making crazy objects and blocking streets and gluing ourselves to stuff and making a lot of noise. They've rumbled that now. They figured out how to police that now. Mm. You know, like the, the, it was in, the, the number of police and the tactics were just insane the other day for what was a massively fluffy kind of a protest. Bit naughty, bit playful, bit disruptive, but you know, not like sort of some fascist march or something. And they've just so so. What comes next? I think is a really big conversation mm. among everybody. You know, what does activism look like? that holds people to account. And, and I think a big part of that is going to be about um, uh, making life much more difficult for the people in the oil and gas companies who are responsible for this. <laughs> because, you know, that because the, the idea, because actually I'll just say one more thing, which, which really shocked me actually. And I kind of knew about it, but I went to a talk about it and, and I was like, this is just extraordinary is these, a lot of international trade agreements now have these secret courts designed into them whereby corporations can sue national governments in secret courts that are not open to the public, uh, where they are tried by, by uh, lawyers and the decisions are internationally binding. And it means that basically coal companies and oil and gas companies can sue national governments for their climate change policies. So, for example, the German the Dutch government is being sued by two uh, German coal companies for closing down coal-fired power stations as part of their climate things. The Italian government is being sued by a British oil uh, exploration company called Rockhopper, who wanted to drill for oil in the Adriatic Sea. Uh, and they can sue them for, for like billions of dollars for basically stopping them doing what they want to do. So, so there's a fundamentally... Uh, hugely anti-democratic uh, aspect to this and the idea that actually there are these laws in place that are making governments more cautious than they would otherwise be because if they feel if they move too fast they're going to get sued by all these companies so i think one of the things we have to do is to bring an enormous amount of pressure to get those laws changed because they are they're psychopathic <laughs> but also you know making this making this kind of stuff visible you know, if it's if it's behind yeah. closed doors and no one knows about it, you know about it because you went to a talk at COP, but it's not something I would hear here in Australia in the local news, for example. So, you know, no. making it visible, telling that story, telling the story of where the where those things are going wrong at the same time as sharing the stories about the things that are juicy and delicious, as you said. And so speaking up, yeah. I think, is a really huge thing that we can do. You know, like you've got podcast and writing and, you know, it's there's so many different forms of activism and I think, you know, there's different different forms but really um, constantly being, you know, in the space where you're um, opening conversations, um, speaking up, sharing stories, good and bad, I think is, is feels to me as something that's just absolutely critical. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, well, so I'm so off now to a thing to 
My pleasure. I'm, I'm off now to meet a thing with some people who've carried a tree, which is some special of some special significance a long distance. And there's going to be a big event. And then there's the Fridays for Future Youth Strike today. So oh, that's, that's where I'm off to. Fantastic. Now. Well, I wish, you know, somehow I wish I was there, but it would mean I'd have to fly across <laughs> across the ocean. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. I'm so glad to be able to touch base, at least somehow. By, um, by talking with you um, today. So thank you so much. It's been just great to catch up with you. Thank you, Mike. All right. Thanks for all you do. Thanks. Bye, Rob.